Okay, so if you have your Bibles, please go to Colossians 1.27. Colossians 1.27. It says this. It says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, listen to that, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we're we're continuing a series today called uh, Vision Sundays, and we've been talking about the seven core values of our church. Number one, anybody remember it? Okay, I'll help you. Jesus is our pursuit. Number two, people are our passion. And today, we're going to talk about hope is our flag. Hope is our flag. And so, I want to start off with a question. Has, have, have your eyes ever deceived you? Like, have you ever like, looked at someone from a distance and you're like, that's, oh, that's so-and-so. And then you go up to the person, it's like, oh, sorry, like it's the wrong person. Has that ever happened to you? I was in my uh, uh, father-in-law's house uh, a few years ago, and I was sitting in the living room, and I was looking over into the dining room area, and in the middle of the dining room table, I saw all these beautiful chocolates. Not, I'm not a sweet tooth, but I'm like, oh, that looks pretty good. So I walk over there, and then I realize that it wasn't what I thought it was. It was just like some decorative rocks, which was a huge disappointment. <laughs> You know, it's, I think the light was hitting it the wrong way. I don't know, but something happened like that. Does it, do any of you guys remember uh, 3D art from the 90s? Okay, let's put the image up there. So, okay, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to figure out what that is. And if anyone knows what that is, I want you to shout it out. You got to blur your eyes a little bit. <laughs> In church, the answer is always Jesus. No one? Okay, time's up. It's Saturn, okay? Some of you guys are going to just focus on that for the rest of the message, so let's move on to the next one. So anyway, sometimes your eyes can deceive you, right? Sometimes you think you're seeing something, but it's, in the reality, it's something else that you're seeing. In the same way that your eyes can deceive you, your ears can also deceive you. Do you guys know where and when was the biggest earthquake ever recorded? Where was it? In Chile in 1960, right? It was a 9.5. I, w- I lived through um, 1984, which uh, was an 8.0, and as a, as, a, as a kid, I remember that earthquake, and I was a little bit traumatized, and so in the future, whenever I would hear a sound, I'm like, oh, here, here it's, it's coming, it's coming. Sometimes it was a truck, sometimes it was a bus, or somebody was like moving the table, and I'm like, holy cow, here it is, right? So I would get nervous, and so, uh, but it wasn't that that was actually happening. So sometimes your eyes can deceive you, and sometimes your ears can deceive you. And what's true physically is also true spiritually. You see, sometimes we think we're seeing something, but we're wrong. And sometimes we think we're hearing something, but we're wrong. You see, Jesus says several times, sometimes you have to have ears to hear. And sometimes while you're seeing, you're not truly seeing. And spiritually, that's true as well. You, You can look without seeing and you can listen without actually Hearing. And so listen to what Paul says to uh, his church, to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesus, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 18 says, I pray. This is an interesting prayer. He's praying for them, and he does this prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be open. Now, last time I checked, hearts don't have eyes, right? What is he talking about? He's saying that you will actually see, that you will, that you will look out, and that you will see beyond what your five senses can actually perceive. And so Paul, we can talk about Paul here uh, just a little bit. Paul, who was the first missionary ever, 
who wrote most of the New Testament, who was um, a Pharisee, who was a persecutor of Christians who turned, uh, turned into a disciple, he wrote a letter from prison to a city called Colossia. And in that city, there was a polytheism and they were very legalist people. Um, and so one of the problems that they had is that they were like, okay, we got Jesus, but we can also, we also believe in other gods. So we got Jesus as, as a God, but then there's also all these other gods. And so that church was, um, was uh, very uh, confused in the sense of, can we have Jesus or can we have also other gods? And so what he was trying to do with his church is what I want us to, to try and do here today as well which is to refocus, to refocus. I want us to focus, right? Um, because there's a difference between seeing and truly seeing. And there's a difference between hearing and truly hearing. And so I want, what I want to see happen today in this church is what I think Paul was trying to have his church see in those days, which is that we can actually know what's, what's happening underneath Everything. And so DFCC is, is, there's a similarity between DFCC and the church in Colossia. Because we're all different here. Different races, different cultures. We're different. Like we're a diverse church, but we all have something in common. And the thing that we all have in common is that we all want our lives to be better. Right? We all want our lives to be better. We want maybe a better job, we want to be happier, we want better opportunities, we want better health, maybe you want more savings, you want your business to thrive. We want our lives to be better. Like, we all have that in common, and that's what gets us up in the morning, that's what gets us moving, is we want a better life for ourselves. If I ask any of you, you may say, in 10 years, I want to be better than I am now. Like, I'm, I'm 47 now, at 57, I want my life to be better, and that's kind of what keeps me going. I want my wife to be better, I want my kids to be better, and that's what keeps us, what keeps us moving. That's kind of the hope that moves us forward. But the opposite is also true. Like, when we have nothing to look forward to, right, it's hard for us to get up in the mud. Why, where would you find motivation to do anything if, if you can't picture a better future? And so what I want to talk about to you today is this whole idea of, of hope. Because when there's no hope, then there's nothing. That's why one of our core values is hope is our flag. So what I want for you today, what I want for each one of you today, is that you will walk away today feeling hopeful. Okay? I don't want you to walk away with a pep talk. Like, oh, you know... Everything's better. I don't know why, but I feel hopeful because then that's going to go away. I don't want you to go away with a pep talk. I want you to go away understanding the actual location of where your hope should come from that will stand the test of time. It will stay in trials. It will stand opposition. It will stand everything. I don't want you to walk away today with a pep talk. We, we, we can see it in some people's lives, you know, if they're, even if they have everything, they still feel depressed, like you've got everything. Why are you suicidal? Why, why is it that you're going through what you're going through? And so one of the things that we have to understand so we can understand true hope is that, is that true hope doesn't come as a result of, listen to this, absence of problems. True hope doesn't come as a result of absence of problems. And if you come to church 
Or if you, if you look in the scriptures or you, or you seek counsel or you go to growth groups and you all do all these things with the hope that as a result of all of these things that you do, you're going to end up with less problems, I want to, I want to remind you that that's not why you're here. You're not here so that Jesus and God and the Bible and all the things that you do will resolve all of your problems. The reason why you're here is so that you can cling on to the hope that will get you through everything. I don't want to give you false hope this morning. You see, that's the hope that Paul is pointing to when he's preaching to the Colossians. He says, I'm going to read it again. Uh, Colossians 1.27 says, to them, Christians, he's talking to Christians, God has chosen to make known among, among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So this morning, if we, if we achieve anything, or if you remember anything of what I preached this morning, what I want to do is I want to try and recalibrate your hope. I want to recalibrate your hope. Have you ever misplaced something like, oh, I lost my watch, I lost my keys? Has that ever happened to you? Yes, to all of us, right? It can also happen with hope. We can, we can misplace our hope and think it's somewhere where it's not, you know. The hope is not you'll be free from debt. The hope is not you'll be healed from your illness. The hope is not you'll have a better future. The hope is not you will be rich. The hope is not you will be famous. The reality is, I, I'm sorry to give you this reality, okay, but it's absolutely true and you guys are going to be like, yeah, yeah, I know, it's obvious, right? Our bodies are decaying. We're not getting any younger, over the years, you, will, you and I will become more and more irrelevant to society. And my wife and I, I was talking about this the other day. It was so depressing. Do, do you realize, do you, it's, not, it's not funny. I don't know why. I, I haven't even said anything. You're already laughing. But, but, but the reality is, is that it's very unlikely that we will both pass from this earth at the same time. Which means that either she's going to have to deal with my death, or I'm going to have to deal with her death, which by the way, Ron knows exactly what I'm talking about. And so when we, when we place our hope in anything other than the true hope of Christ, we realize that, that, that we're not putting it in the place where it will be sustainable. You see, Christ gives us the hope that will never fail, but we tend to misplace our hope. That's why sometimes you're surprised when something happens. Like, oh, I can't believe I got sick. Or, oh, I can't believe I'm in a financial struggle. Oh, I can't believe someone died. Oh, I can't believe this or this or that. We're like, wait a minute, I'm following Christ. Why are things going wrong in my life? Almost like there's a correlation between my faith in Jesus and my life not going the way that I plan it. And we're surprised. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. John 16, 33, I don't have the verse, but I'm going I'm to read it here. In this world, you will have trouble. Don't be surprised. When you're surprised, then you have, when you're surprised at the trouble, that means that you have misplaced your hope. I'm, I'm, I'm going to unpack it this way. Try to go, go quickly here. The birth of Jesus, his entry into the world, was important for many reasons. It was especially important for a part of the Jewish community. Because the Jews had lost hope. 
right? So you go back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 16. There's a promise to Abraham, great nation, great wealth, great power, and then nothing happened. Time passed, time passed, time passed, time passed, and then we have the reign of David, and we have the reign of Solomon, which were 40 and 40 years, 80 years. They called those the golden years, and you'll notice Later in Scripture, they're always pointing back to, to those days. But after Solomon, you know, they had these 80 years, and uh, they had power, they had glory, they had ruling, they had enemies under their feet, right? And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, right, he divides everything, and it's all chaos, and then the promise seems to not take place, and then there's prophet after prophet telling them to turn back, and nobody really listened, and then there was the, the Assyrians that conquered the northern kingdom, and then Babylon wiped out the Assyrians, the, the Jews were deported uh, back to Babylon, then the Persians conquered Babylon, and the Persians allowed for some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to try and rebuild, but it was never back to its former glory, and then we have 400 years of biblical silence, and in that biblical silence, Alexander the Great takes over most of the known world. The Jew, Jews achieve independence for about 100 years. That's when they celebrate Hanukkah, you know, it's the Maccabean revolt, right? And so they go to that promise that they were like, okay, we're back, and then it doesn't end up being what they were expecting, and then the Romans take over everything, and that's when the biblical silence is broken. And the reason why I share that is because when Jesus enters, he enters into a moment in history where the Jewish community had no hope. They were under Roman rule. They were still waiting for the ancient promises to come to pass, which was back to the, in their minds, back to the golden era of David and Solomon, right? So then Jesus comes into the story, and they're like, here's our guy. He's going to bring us back to what we were expecting for him to bring back. And so they were losing hope. They were losing hope. That's why Jesus entering to the story is so significant. They were losing hope. And they, they thought that Jesus would come in and save them from the Roman rule. They thought Jesus would come in and bring them back to their former glory. Jesus would come in and that once again they would submit their enemies under their feet. Once again they thought Jesus would come in and bring them back to the golden era which is how they would always interpret what Jesus would share. He would talk about parables. He would do healings. He would do all these things. He's like, okay, this is our guy that's going to bring us back to what we think he's going to bring us into. But then the story changes, right? Jesus is apprehended. Every disciple abandoned him. He was taken before the courts. He stopped defending himself. He was flogged. He was nailed to a cross. And then he died. Once again, from their perspective, from their perspective, they had once again lost hope. The person that they thought was Jesus that was going to bring them back to their former years had died. And so did all of their hope. But here's what was happening. They were listening without hearing. The whole time, they were listening without hearing. And they were looking without seeing. They couldn't see beyond the thing that Jesus was doing. And maybe this is you also today. Maybe you're wondering, why don't I have a better job? 
Why are my relationships restored? Why isn't the government better? Why don't I have better benefits, more savings, more and more and more and more? Why do things have to go the opposite way of what I am expecting? You feel like maybe Jesus broke a promise, something that he owed you, like this never happened. I thought I'd be further along in my life, and it's not where I thought that I should be. And you feel disappointed. Well, let me propose to you that maybe you've been listening without hearing and maybe you've been, you've been looking without seeing. You see, this, the, that's what the disciples were going through. They were looking without seeing and they were listening without hearing. You see, our assumption could be similar as the assumption of the Jews. We expect God to come through in the way that we expect. But then we discover that the disciples had misinterpreted the prophets and they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. They would take things literally. Oh, kingdom of heaven? Okay, kingdom on earth. That's what they thought. But it was different. It was different. There was more going on. And I know we can criticize the disciples, but I would argue that we would have done the same. We would have misinterpreted probably. And the reason why I say that is because we do the same. We misinterpret sometimes what it means to truly have hope or which is the hope that truly is the hope that Jesus is bringing until something happened, right? What happened? He just died, right? But then what happened? He rose. he rose from the dead. All of a sudden, it clicked. All of a sudden, all the pieces came together. They were like, oh, okay. It wasn't literal. It was metaphor. It was this whole idea of a kingdom that's within us and a kingdom that will never die. So they started putting context together to all the things that Jesus had Seen. And so they no longer believe that Jesus came into their lives to save them from the government, but they finally understood that the reason why Jesus came into the world was to free them from their sin. And what's true for them is true for us as well. That's the reason why Jesus came in. That's where we need to place our hope in the fact that we are now saved by the blood of Jesus. And that is the hope that never fails no matter what happens in your life, you've got that. It's the hope that never fails. Jesus did not come into the world to save us financially, physically, emotionally, to make your dreams come true, to give you power, to give you recognition, to give you fame. Hey, he may bless you with that, but that's great. That's not why he came, though. And that's not where hope is. Why did he come into the world? 1 Timothy 1.15, it says it very clearly. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul continues, of which, by the way, he says, I'm the worst of all. Any sinners in the room? Just me? Okay, good. I just was feeling alone up here. Okay, so that's the whole story. You see, the problem is, uh, or not the problem, but what happened is that in Gethsemane, from, from, from the moment of Gethsemane, when Jesus is, is, is not wanting to do, we got a, the scene right there, uh, in the stained glass window, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. From that moment, from the perspective of everyone, it was over. Everyone deserted him. No one understood. Hope was lost. We were back to hopelessness until, brothers and sisters, the resurrection. Let's not forget that. I know we talk about it all the time, but Jesus rose from the dead. Whew. So there the puzzle was completed. No one cared anymore about who was first. No one cared about bringing everything back to its former glory, recognition, politics, power, all those things. There was so much more that was happening. 
They had understood what Jesus had, that Jesus had already saved them in every way that a person, a politician, or a king could ever do. And the same is true for us. You see, my hope is that this morning, you will have ears to hear and eyes to see, just like Paul said. My hope is that, that you will understand that the hope of glory is nothing else than Christ in you. Jesus didn't come into the world to make your life better or worse. He didn't come into the world to make your dreams come true or to shatter them. That's not the main storyline here. He came to save you from your sin. And that's, that's true hope. I'm going to end here. Here's my fear. My fear is that this disappoints you. Like, oh, just freedom from sin? That's it? That's the hope? Oh, okay. I've heard that one before. What Paul is attempting to do with his church is what I, with the help of the Holy Spirit, am attempting to do here this morning, which is an impossible task for me to do apart from the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. You see... They were looking without seeing, they were listening without hearing, and maybe you are too. Colossians 1.27, I want to read it one more time. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Old Testament, God over everything, Elohim. Christ comes into the world, God with us, Emmanuel. But now, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, through his death, we are forgiven from sin, shame, and guilt. That is our hope, a hope that never fades and never disappoints. You see, his work started at his birth and was completed at his resurrection. And nothing more needs to happen. Christ is sufficient. Psalm 23, 1, very famous verse, says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack a better job. I lack a better relationship. I lack more money. I lack, I lack, I lack, I lack. No, no, no. See, listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd? Okay, guess what? You lack nothing. You lack nothing. He is sufficient now. You see, hope has a name, and its name is Jesus. And so my prayer is that the eyes of your heart will be opened this morning, that the Holy Spirit will show this to you today, that he will take away every distraction, and that this reality will be sealed in your heart and will allow you to face anything with confidence that everything's okay. Hey, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Because Christ in you, hope of glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for these moments that we share. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your presence. We thank you, God, that you are a good God. You're a God that never leaves us, that never forsakes us. I pray that you will help us this morning, all of us here this morning, to place our 
trust and all of our hope, not in something that you might do for us in the future, but something that you already did for us 2,000 years ago. Let us anchor ourselves in that hope because you are the cornerstone in our lives. We thank you so much for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.